0: voiceover describes what's happening on your iphone screen
1: voiceover on
0: settings so you can navigate it just by listening
1: books contacts calendar double tap to open breakfast with anna from 10
2: to 11
0: and get on with your day accessibility there's more to iphone millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds
3: This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, Liverpool beat Manchester City in an end-to-end thriller, but what does it mean for both sides and where they might end up at the end of the season? We'll be talking about VAR, which affected so many games in the top flight this weekend, including the game at Ellen Road between Leeds United and Arsenal. Arsenal continue on their great run, top of the table, but Leeds put in a fantastic performance as well. We will dive into that, as well as Bournemouth, who continue their unbeaten, and run under Gary O'Neill. We'll talk about Ivan Tony's impact and what he could do if given a World Cup berth. And we will also be talking about red cards up and down the country as well. This is The Game. Hello and welcome back to The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wissancroft, joined today by Molly Hudson, Tom Clark, and Tony Cascarino. And we have to start, of course we do, with events at Anfield. Two huge sides that have gone head-to-head over the past few seasons, Liverpool and Manchester City, serving up a bit of a classic. Plenty for us to discuss. It was decided by a Mo Salah goal, but it was important that Liverpool got back to winning ways, didn't lose another game and didn't, I think, keep that that bad feeling going it was a great afternoon for those Liverpool fans who many of them in London screaming in my face in a pub in Covent Garden they actually thought I supported City you know I had to explain to them at the end it's not quite that I just don't like you that much but anyway Liverpool win the game um, and I just it was it was one of those where I reflected at the end of it and said it, at times it felt like anything could have happened the number of good chances for Liverpool you know they could have had a, a much more healthy scoreline at least But then at full time, you're almost like, what does this mean in the bigger picture for both clubs? Does it mean that Liverpool are back and that they're going to be a a side that's going to challenge anyone? I I still think they'll be competing for top four. And then when it comes to Manchester City, well, everyone still thinks they're going to win the league. And how much can this really derail them? So what's the bigger picture for you, Tony? Well, I certainly don't feel that Man City are going to be
2: derailed because I think Liverpool caught them on. their probably one of their poorest days. Um, and still created enough chances. To uh, Certainly, you know, Alisson pulled off a good few saves in the game. I was amazed at the, before the start of the game and the reaction, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. When I saw James Milner up against Phil Foden, I was like, I can't, no. Jürgen, what are you thinking? 30, what, six-year-old, 37-year-old up against a flying machine, as in Phil Foden. Um... James Milner probably plays one of his best games he's ever had at right back. And I can remember, who was the the, um, the guy that played? Oh, the guy that played for Swansea, the winger. Uh, Mon- um, Jefferson, Jefferson Montero. Montero. Montero yeah. I saw him play against uh, Madison in Englandshire. Uh, sorry, I saw him play against Milner in Englandshire. And he played as a right back. Um, Jefferson Montero absolutely ripped him to pieces. It was sort of probably the end of his England career ever at right back. So I always remember that moment. Well, obviously, Jefferson Montero was always a winger that wanted to go past people and did it at pace, where Foden kept getting the ball to feet more often than not. So I, I thought, and I imagine most WhatsApp groups and people involved were thinking, Milner, Foden, really? The bo- the bottom, for me, if you want to really go to the bottom of the problem was... Cancelo moving over to the other side and he had probably one of his poorer games and he's a real talent. De Bruyne never got going and De Bruyne, we do not have to wax lyr- lyrical about Kevin De Bruyne. It was Anfield at his best. It was Liverpool's biggest players back to their best. Gomez was brilliant um, in a game that, again, a number of Liverpool fans would have been very concerned about Gomez's form. Uh, Van Dijk stood up and Look, he's one of the best center halfs in the world. And I made that point uh, before the weekend that he's got to show that he can handle Haaland. Um, and then you move forward and Mo was just Mo. Salah was, you know, he's got, I think he's got eight goals in the last seven games, if you can include in international games. So he hasn't been on that bad of a run. But Mo has certainly been under par since the start of the season. I just thought the energy of Liverpool got them out over the line. Now, make one final point. I wouldn't be surprised if this game has a bit of a cost for Liverpool because they now got a lot of games, like many of the teams in the Premier League, and they've got a huge number of injuries. And they look like they gave absolutely everything to just get over the line against City.
3: Tom, what did you make of it? Bigger picture. Liverpool back, City possibly... there was a part of me that saw the City performance and went this is how they get knocked out of the Champions League every year you know it's just an error leading to a goal you know there was a period after the goal I think they had 90% possession in the next 10 minutes didn't really go anywhere and you sort of you were left sort of underwhelmed by them at times
1: yeah and Tony touched on it and they mentioned it on Match of the Day too that Liverpool, what they did brilliantly, and Anfield obviously helps them, is they made it a cup game, didn't they? And you rightly kind of pointed out in a Champions League sense. It reminded me a little bit of that Champions League final against Chelsea, where towards the end, a team so um, brilliantly intrinsic in terms of the way they play, like City, just start knocking it long, really. And I mean, I know they have Haaland now as a target man, But in that Champions League final, people were making jokes about, oh, you know, what's ticky-tacker for stick it in the mixer? It it all got a bit (laughs) desperate, didn't it? I think bigger picture-wise, what it does do is, with the Haaland narrative and the way City have been playing and the, you know, relentless nature of their victories, what what a defeat like this does. It just reminds the rest of the league and it's a message to Arsenal and Tottenham nearby that, okay, it's not going to be a given. Do I think City will still win the title? Yes, probably. But it's not going to be that... Maybe it won't be that runaway train that they have been playing, like like Haaland has been leading the line. I think that, bigger picture-wise. But I would disagree slightly with Tony on the Liverpool thing, because in terms of the injuries that you mentioned, Tony, and whether it'll cost them a lot, because I just think psychologically such a massive, massive game for them and to put in that performance to get the fans behind them. And I also think... I'm sure we'll come on to the decisions as well, but... A very clever lad on Thursday's game predicted that the Anfield crowd would kind of get behind them and it might be perfect for them. But I I was watching Jürgen Klopp on the touchline. He almost wanted to be sent off. You know, he was on that touchline. It was the best actor performance, honestly. Give give the man an Oscar. He'd have walked off. Those pearly whites would have been beaming, (laughs) chuckling to himself. (laughs) Absolutely worked a treat. Pep lost it. And I do think that's where City are a little bit fallible under Pep. You know, they do... It's the kind of... (laughs) Uh, sophisticated version of they don't like it up and you know yes Liverpool didn't go backs to the wall they they went at them but when you get the crowd this City team under Pep do still have that in them to kind of lose their heads a little bit and lose what they do best which is just relentlessly pick you apart and they stop doing that Molly how do you see it?
4: I think picking up on what Tom was saying about relentlessly picking them apart but that's what they're going to do all season isn't it to Mm. everyone else so I think they have the ability to lose their heads and kind of lose these almost cup games in the league where the opposition has, you know, we've seen it with Man United as well, that they're capable of doing that to teams where you, you're thinking on paper, they sh- you know, they're in bad form. They shouldn't be getting anywhere near these teams, but they find a way on the day. But I think the bigger picture is that, yeah, they've lost a game, but they're going to absolutely steamroll, particularly with Haaland this season, steamroll pretty much all the other teams in the league and then we've already seen how many points Liverpool have dropped. So I think maybe the bigger picture of this game is that Liverpool are now that team that are taking points off them in a one-off game whereas previously, in the more recent seasons, it's been it's been City and Liverpool out there at the top, hasn't it? And I think it's not the case this season. It's more... This game will have done more almost for, for Spurs and Arsenal and their hopes than it will have done for Liverpool in a sense because Liverpool... Mm. You're right that they're still going to be up there in the kind of top four race, but the title's probably gone already. And I think, actually, when you think that Arsenal are, what, four points clear at, at this stage? I mean,
3: they're going to be buzzing with that. Mo Salah, you mentioned him already, Tony. Um, He scored the winner. And I thought, when I say signs of him returning to his best, I think, actually, we saw more of those signs against Rangers than we did against Manchester City because of the the style in which the goals were taken but in terms of the opportunities that he got and those breakaways, the, the turnover in possession, I thought that was key in terms of, of Liverpool style. A, a reminder, again, even if you've got the ball against them, they can hurt you. And the thing is, like I say, it was one goal, but the breakaways, you know, there was a point three on one, I think Nunes didn't get the pass across. There was another brilliant save from Edison where we thought Sal- Salah was going to put Liverpool in front. You know, those that transition, that turnover... That breakaway looked fierce, even when Nunes was was on the pitch. Even even though he hasn't had the greatest start to his Liverpool career.
2: Yeah, I would have. I was at the game against Arsenal at the Emirates last weekend, and Salah was getting increasingly frustrated by the ball coming too late to him. Especially the centre halves Matip and uh, Van Dijk continually played the ball to each other. You know, slow build up from the back. Now, when Liverpool do it really quickly, and when Van Dijk plays the diagonals, and certainly Thiago Tiago was doing a similar thing. Moving the ball quickly, that suits Mo Salah. You know, let's remember it was a punt down the middle by Allison. that, okay, Rodri makes a mistake, but it was a quick ball that takes people by surprise. That's Mo Salah at his, at his best. He wants things as early as he can because he's so relentless. He's running and always trying to get in behind people. At Arsenal, he was just literally... He just felt like... He was getting things way too late. When he got it, he could only go sideways and backwards. He doesn't want that. He wants to go behind people, and that's his strength, his biggest strength.
1: Okay, Mo Salah, back? Yeah, I think back, but I mean, we discussed it against um, Rangers as well. I think that was a big, big moment for him, scoring those goals. On the idea of Salah being back, City really played into their hands in terms of how he wanted to play. Tony's talking about getting the ball to him quickly when is that most effective when your team's out of position and and City were like that the whole game the goal comes from, from being out of position it's an awful awful free kick from Kevin De Bruyne isn't it You're Like mm. just lofted in Allison's like yeah cheers thanks very much and down we go so yes Tony's right that Al- um, Salah's better when you get the ball to him quickly but we've praised I particularly have praised City for this kind of ever-changing back four and it doesn't seem to affect them they can play anyone anywhere this is the first time where it was like mm, actually Maybe they don't get it right. Maybe this whole Akanje, Ake, they can play anywhere, it gets a bit disjointed. So I do think, I, I, I agree with Molly that, yes, I'm sure they'll go back to the relentless pursuit of the title. But there were little signs there for other teams where they'd start looking at people. And you know teams and coaches are so sophisticated these days, they can change tactics during a game. So if they suddenly start seeing Cancelo shifted, they might make a tactical change to get the ball quickly. I do think that was another element of the game. Match of the day picked it out as well in terms of them being left with almost like a back three when City had the ball, and for that turnover, so I do think there's more elements there that for City, yes, there's 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 still the team to beat. But I think Liverpool did interesting things that I think other other opponents can pick up on.
4: But has Canseo not played that kind of inverted fullback for he has absolutely for a long time now, and everyone seems to have
1: absolutely. But maybe this is the message as to how you can get at them if you turn the ball over quickly and go at them quickly, which actually was kind of how Klopp's Liverpool did against City in the early days, you know, before they became those teams that you talked about, Moll, where they were like the two top teams going head-to-head. And it was everyone, you know, the Champions League games where it was like, right, now we get to finally see how someone can get at City because Klopp's going to show us. You know, I referenced this in the preview show as well, and this is not me being clever, but they they did quick turnovers in those games. You know, the Oxlade-Chamberlain goals and things like that. Years ago, we're talking now, but it was pinch the ball, turnover, go at them, try and score. Obviously, that's where the goal comes from. But a lot of those chances that Tony highlights for Salah, quick turnover, get the ball forward. Joe Gomez, I think, was excellent in terms of his distribution from the back. Harvey Elliott as well, linking play, finding that space in those pockets and allowing that quick turn. Off you go, get at City. And that's where you can get at them. So I do think there's elements there where they've given a little bit of a lesson for some other teams.
2: This this is a question for all of us here. It was self-evident to me, watching the game, that Liverpool were prepared to make a lot of fouls. Hmm. You know, Bernardo Silva getting angry was because he got fouled a lot. Liverpool were prepared to foul all over the pitch. And that was the common theme of the game, and it was an it was an exciting match because there was a lot happening, but the break of play happened so often in so mm. many different areas, which clearly unsettled City.
1: Yeah, it's that sophisticated thing about it's that you know it's your sophisticated man's let let's get they don't like it up them, which it, yeah. you know they did they did it last season, didn't they? Um, at the Etihad in the draw, City and Liverpool, where we kind of felt like. Um, City were going to the title and Liverpool were clinging on to make it a title race, clinging on, clinging on. And in that game, you know, City had countless chances. And we talked about it on this podcast, didn't we? And essentially, Liverpool kicked the crap out of them. Now, I don't (laughs) think this was the same type of performance, but you're right, Tony, that they did have that in them. But again, it's Klopp being very clever. He's using Anfield and he knows that some of these City players sometimes can drop drop their levels in that scenario and in that environment and lose their heads a little bit.
3: Uh, they did strike me as sort of a, a team that, you know, when everything's going perfect, the motor's running perfectly, you know, they enjoy themselves. Hmm. As soon as you put a spanner in the works yesterday, and I th- it felt like that, they, they sort of shrunk a little bit. And I w- I w- to be fair, I wasn't surprised by that because I've seen it hmm. before and, you know, I've ranted about Manchester City plenty of times. But I do have to ask the question whether we feel City may have deserved a goal in this game when you look at the incident now listen to be perfectly honest pgmol say that there is not only one, but two reasons why they would have disallowed the would-be Phil Foden goal. Um, firstly, what it was disallowed for, as we saw Anthony Taylor immediately make up his mind by looking at the screen, was the the pull from Erling Haaland on Fabinho when he tried to to uh, nick the ball off him in the midfield area. But then, obviously, Alisson looks like he had two hands on the ball as Haaland went in for it, and it spilt to Foden. who put it uh, into the back of the net. So, were everyone happy that they shouldn't have had a goal? Yeah, delighted. Yeah. Love VAR, genius. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even
2: mention the corner that Liverpool should have had because of the deflection. All right, all right. So yeah, you've yeah, missed yeah, that. You part. bring a
3: Liverpool fan on, it all goes. <laughs> what else? Go on. Every, right. it, no, no, but I'll list every single but decision. I do think that there's an no interesting way.
1: point about the furor and Pep, and this is again comes back to that point about the, how well Klopp played it in terms of the kind of getting the crowd going, but it either works for you and we've all seen it I've seen my team that I've been supporting when you know the ref becomes the center of attention and decisions and the crowd can kind of get involved and some players I'm sure Tony you can remember times when it's gone for a team you've been playing for in terms of that atmosphere yeah. mm. and sometimes it just goes against you and yesterday I think the decision was right ultimately but obviously people a lot and I know Hugh you feel this as well that the game was being allowed to go as it has been this season. And so you then get a decision like a slight shirt pull on Fabinho and you're putting it in the wider context and going, well, why is he giving that as a foul? But I think it's actually right that you let the game go. You have some of the incidents, like I think there was a Salah and Bernardo Silva one down by the touchline that hmm. Klopp lost the plot over. But that that was a kind of let the game go. And if, if that had ha- meant anything in the grander scheme of things, then maybe they'd have pulled it back.
3: Well, that's the thing that I dislike the most because everyone loves letting the game go. Let it go, let it flow, let them play, end to end, fantastic. And it's not just this game, it's thrown up so many games where that has happened and we've all enjoyed it but then for when the ball actually goes into the back of the net the whole reason that you want the game to flow you then say hold on a minute there was a bit of roughhousing in the build up so no, but it it's was not a, f- a goal but it
1: was a foul though that's the point is that but I then, think you can but, have you can have those two I, things but, exist but it,
3: but it wasn't a foul in the rest of the game no, it but was it would, a foul would, when you looked to the would screen have,
1: it would have been a foul in terms of a moment that matters, in the same way that a lot of well, people make the point about VAR that if it's like an offside and clear, so you bring it back to the moments that really matter, otherwise let the game go. I think that's the argument. Anyone else? Who's on my side? Molly, come on, back me up. Mm.
4: I I was going to ask you, what would you do then? Because VAR in that situation is doing its job correctly. So would you want VAR to change?
3: I wouldn't have looked at it. Uh, this is the thing. In the context of letting the game flow... And allowing, in real time, when the referee's in the middle of the pitch, letting those decisions go, it wouldn't have been looked at by VAR. Because those have been let let go all game. So why would VAR suddenly be like, oh, hold on a minute, that player's got his shoelace undone, we've got to bring it back. Like, you wouldn't do that, you wouldn't look at it. But but letting
4: the game go is the referee. What we're talking about is the VAR. They're not the same thing. Now, that's a different uh, argument that they should be in whatever that word is. In conjunction. In sync. Yeah, yeah. But they're not, but... Var did what it was supposed to do. It's a foul. He ruled yeah. it out.
3: I don't understand why the on-field referee wouldn't be doing that. Like that doesn't make sense. If you think it's a foul, but maybe he yeah, but did didn't he But
1: maybe he didn't. But maybe he's allowing the game to go and flow, which is what made it so entertaining for a one-nil. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. I think Anthony Taylor had a big part to play in it being mm-hmm. such an entertaining game for a neutral in particular. But yeah, that, that's why you allow the game to flow because it then comes back to a serious moment. But and Tony, you were going to. Ju-
2: no, I was going to say just on a broader point that. You know, years ago there was the phrase of, you know, when people uh, didn't get fouls in the penalty box, they say oh, if that was on the halfway line, that would be a foul. Yeah. Well, what we're seeing now in the modern game, everything's being waved on in the middle of the pitch, and in the penalty area, they're all fouls. Yeah. But if it was in the middle of the pitch, it wouldn't be now. Yeah. And so we've gone complete full circle on this mm. idea.
1: Mm. Do you but, see what uh, I mean? But, yeah, uh, yeah, but but do you mind that though? Because do you think foul? I don't want even, with, to... even with your Liverpool hat off. Do you think that was a foul? Yeah, I yeah, did think it was a yeah. foul.
2: Yeah, I did think it was a. It, look, I thought it was a foul.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. so we're clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but you're it, you're, it but you're, is, but you're but you're, but you unlike me and Molly are upset by the context in which
3: other fouls were not being given. Correct. It, it, well, it's not that the other ones aren't given. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not it's not that the other ones aren't given. It's that my whole my whole argument is well, on the difference between on-field refereeing and the VAR. Like it is the same, the same sport. It's the same laws. And what is applied when you go to the VAR official should be being applied by the on-field but this official is, but as this well to two sets of rules. You know, it's a Monday. Q yes. Q.
2: If Foden's effort doesn't go in and Gomez it hits him and goes for a corner, yeah. there would have been a corner. Yeah, they wouldn't have gone back, would they? And to no. the incident, well, so that's I the get... same
1: as the Chelsea Tottenham one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah where yeah. it was then a corner, even though there was a foul way yeah. back. Yeah.
2: So it it's difficult, isn't it? Because. It,
1: it, it, it... It is, and also, she's not here, she's, not on, she's on holiday, but if it was, it was Monday, and Alison would be here. She'd, she'd make the point that it's because they're all humans. That's why. It's not a machine. But, but, the, but Anthony Taylor's one human with one interpretation, and there's another human watching a screen with a different interpretation, and that's, that will forever be the problem gen, with but genuinely, VAR,
3: because people go, well, we've got VAR, and it's like, it's still being run by a human. I woke up this morning, and I genuinely felt, leave it just with goal-line technology... And leave Offside. it with the offsides. Yeah, you could. And then, do. and then for VAR, only violent conduct and reviewing a penalty decision. That's Great. it. I'm not so unless that. unless you unless you've given a penalty and you're like, I want to check mm. that, or you think there's been violent conduct and VAR says to the referee on the pitch, um, either you need to send this player off because we've just seen him blatantly punch someone, or we think you might think it's violent conduct. Go and have a look. Mm. That's it. I'm not and, against uh, uh, it. Give it woozy to the end because, of the season. I'm doing it. I'm uh, all for it. <laughs> that might be that might be essentially football before VAR with a little bit of help. With some clarity, Rather yeah. than re-refereeing the game totally on VAR, yes, VAR yeah. with with too much reach. Anyway, look, this is the issue. I don't want to have a big conversation about VAR. David Moyes, though, and, and listen, all fans want us to mention it. Once we mention one team, yeah. we'll try and mention them all. So David Moyes, unhappy about a few decisions in West Ham's draw at Southampton. Uh, Southampton took the lead. Um, Pero beat Bowen to the ball. And then, you know, he hit it in. It was deflected. But the referee, Peter Banks, just got in the way of Jared Bowen, who tried to control the ball. David Moyes wasn't happy about it. He said it was ridiculous after he accidentally impeded Bowen. Thomas Suchek probably should have been given a penalty. Um, Perro once again. David Moyes describing it as a judo move inside the box. I think if you look at Craig Dawson winning a penalty against Fulham, was it last weekend? Mm. This is definitely a penalty. Uh, but David Moyes' quotes were interesting. He says, there must be new rules in football. He gets th- he gets him and he throws him down. It's unreal. It's not the referee. It's VAR. Whoever was on VAR today needs to go to Specsavers, I've got to say. By the way, whoever came up with that that advertising campaign going down in history, okay? Who, who thought you'd change the vernacular of football uh, once you said that? And listen, we'll come to the ones in the Legionite game when we discuss that a little bit later on. Newcastle penalty by uh, Varane, a foul on, on Wilson, I think that was pretty clear as well, watching it on yeah. a, a But the problem you know, the problem what, what, with all
1: these is it it comes back to that same point about interpretation of rules
3: by humans. that's the whole yeah. point, isn't it? The point it, is, but, if they can't be clarified by VAR, then what's the point in having it? just but leave I, it but
1: I agree we come back that's why I was saying give it woozy to the end of the season you've made a good point about offsides and red cards and clear mistakes but these kind of tugs in the box who's pulling who you know Molly's going to mention it with a game that she was at Fulham um, Bournemouth with one of their penalties that was given Mitrovic has got as much of a hold on was it Lerner yes. yeah. you know, yeah. and you're like mm. what we're talking it's the same conversation we were having as before VAR so I take your point Hugh but the the managers themselves are making it a problem in terms of making the narrative about VAR, VAR, VAR. You're you're just talking about humans and their interpretation of the rules. And if Moyes is saying we need new rules, I mean, please, God, no more new rules. Well, I was going
2: to say, on that, honestly, Tom, layer after layer of new rules has come in where we just keep... Where do you you put the line in the sand? Yeah. Is it 2016? Since then, there's been about 200 rule changes. I mean, to suggest new laws on the game or... I I find that frustrating. And by the way, in all my years of playing football, there was very few footballers that knew many laws. Yeah. Right? They don't. They don't know. I know I was one of them because there are so many within football that even sometimes I think a referee doesn't know all the laws.
1: Yeah, yeah. At their own game. So how many do you want? And that then also creates a problem within the state. You know, I have it with – my dad is a fairly clever man. Um, but when it comes to football rules and going to the matches, I, he's going, that's offside. I was like, no, Dad, it touched him before it went through. And I'm like, just, just chill out. And that, But he's one of 10,000, even at a Lincoln game, screaming their heads off. That then creates the yeah. dynamic of a game where it's all about the referee. And, you know, I think Tony's got a good point that a, if you make more rules, it makes it harder for us to all to learn them. But B, we should all try to learn them because it maybe takes a little bit of the pressure off the referee.
3: We're going to be talking about a couple of times, Tony, uh, forgot the rules. Let's call it that. And we discuss red cards a little bit later on in the podcast. Uh, we'll be talking about Arsenal, Bournemouth, as well as Brighton before we get to the end of the podcast as well. So stay tuned for that. Remember, if you're enjoying it, make sure you're subscribed. We'll talk about the Premier League leaders next. Well, because of results elsewhere and their 1-0 win over Leeds, Arsenal are now four points clear at the top of the table. The last four teams to win nine of their opening ten games have gone on to win the title. Good omens for Arsenal. Um, We're getting used to their quality as well. Let's be perfectly honest with it. Um, They could and maybe should have dropped some points, though, at Ellen Road because Patrick Bamford missed a second-half penalty. And then in stoppage time, the referee, Chris Kavanagh, sent off Arsenal's Gabriel for kicking out at the lead striker, awarded a penalty... And both decisions were overturned when Kavanagh reviewed the incident on the pitch side monitor. So sorry to bring VAR back into it. We'll come to that, though. Let's start with the football. Uh, Tom Mikkel Arteta says something special is happening at Arsenal. It was a a big win, a big positive for Arsenal as well. But Caillou Saka scoring once again four goals in his past three what a finish
1: as well I mean again so much to talk about from this game and Leeds were excellent as well before we get onto the decisions in terms of purely football I thought they were brilliant that was again one of the real treats to watch I love it when they play like that Patrick Bamford I'm sure we'll mention as well absolutely love watching him play when he can stay fit but that Saka goal what a great finish such a hard thing to do I assume Tone at that angle it's your only place you can put it isn't it in terms of into the roof of the net but at pace because the goalkeeper's going right don't get nutmeg don't go across the box and then bang straight past him I thought that was a great finish in terms of the something special happening at Arsenal I just think it's a mentality thing parking the Gabriel idiocy for one minute and I'm sure (laughs) he'll be in a special training all week with some videos and going don't do this for the rest of the season. He did it against Man City when he got sent off in that game last season, which I've referenced so many times. He's got that moment of lunacy in him. Don't do it, mate. You're playing, you're playing really well. You're part of something really special. But I think generally, you just look at the reactions that all the players have to all these moments, the missed penalty, they went absolutely mad. And I know there's like, it's an intense atmosphere, but I've ju- you've just not seen that from Arsenal. You've seen Arteta have that intensity of personality He's translated it to the team but in a really positive way I feel and they're all like in it together when they score every time I, they score a goal they all huddle in and it's like they have a little debrief it's almost like a basketball match like it's a little time out for them they use that moment rather than like doing little poses for celebrations they use it as a moment to like pause regroup people get in a few little like don't let him run off you all that kind of stuff it just the mentality that Arteta has had for so long he seems to have instilled it in the correct way to get the best out of this Arsenal team and th- in the last few years they wouldn't have won that game and yes we have talk about decisions yes Leeds missed a penalty but it's such a massive statement I think that Arsenal are continuing to make in different senses winning North London derbies and winning games like this where they wouldn't have previously
3: What did you make of Arsenal's performance how good are they at the moment?
4: I think I was listening to Tom there and I did quite a bit of Arsenal a couple of seasons back when they were kind of under IMRI and they were very much like a, to be like unkind, I suppose, a like mid-table team because they were quite disjointed and I think they weren't all on the same page. I think you can't kind of underestimate how much of an impact, ironically, having talked about it earlier, those Man City players have made to Arsenal. And I think it's not just on the pitch, but it's off it as well. It's driving those standards. And I think, yeah, they've been fantastic this season. And I think they but particularly this week, it was it was the same in the Europa League as well. It was like one nil games. They they've been fantastic this season. they scored loads of goals through Gabriel Jesus, whatever. But this week, sort of without him kind of taking a big role, they've really showed that they can grind out results. And I think what we've seen so much over the years is if you want to win things and if you, you know, even want to get to near winning things, you need to be able to have that side to your game. And, you know, we talk about Liverpool, made loads of owls, broke up the game against City. Arsenal were showing they can do that now and I was going to say they can keep the right side of it but Mm -hmm. you know you could argue that Gabriel kind of lost his head a little bit there but yeah they were lucky I think because Leeds are fantastic and I did Leeds Crystal Palace I think it was last week and it was Bamford's like first start in a while and you could see he was really rusty but Jesse Marsh was big on how big Bamford can be for them when he gets fit because you sort of forget how big he was under Bielsa and what a fantastic player he is because he's had so many injuries and I think when he can get fit, properly match fit as well, not just, you know, having cameos, I think he can really change things for them, having that kind of force up front. So I think Arsenal were lucky, but also it showed that they can close a game out.
3: He looked rusty, Bamford. And yet, he still probably had the most attacking output for Leeds United, uh, most touches in the opposition box. He carried them up the team with his hold-up play. Um, on another day, if that was off the run of say five appearances, I think he buries a penalty as well. He just didn't, you know, just didn't have his rhythm back, did he? In terms of his shooting boots on. Um, but again, he, you know, he he ruffled Arsenal's feathers quite a lot, including Gabrielle's. I couldn't believe what Chris Kavanagh did. I I actually could not believe. You know, having even seen the rest of the... I could not believe what Chris Kavanagh did at the end of that game. Because how anyone could say it wasn't violent conduct, I don't know. I, like, even if you think Patrick Bamford has fouled him, by the way, the ball was still in play. So it's violent conduct. Yeah, it should have,
4: it should have been a foul first.
3: And then a red. And, and then, then a, red. a red.
4: So not a penalty. But not a penalty. Yeah, yeah it's But a still brain. a red. Yeah.
3: yeah. 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 So yeah. I, I just... I, I just, agree.
1: I just, the change, the drop down from... Red to yellow, yellow was was what the was the most yellow faffling? What yes. was the yellow for? You got a bit-
3: What was the yellow? Oh, I know. Well, you've answered your own
2: question. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: we don't worry. We're, we agree we're, with we're you on that. this one. But <laughs> by the way, I, but by the way, I still think it was harsh to remove the penalty because if you watch the incident back again, and I know Bamford pushes into the back of Gabrielle. Yeah, but Bamford is trying to run after the ball. Yeah, and, and Gabrielle turns, ball. looks at Bamford, looks away from the ball, so he's not even shielding it, and then deliberately. Barges towards just a block or barge? I think it's a barge because he deliberately gets his shoulder. Nah, it's a block. Come it's on. not a block, man. Yeah, man. It's you, not a block. We've, that, uh, listen, we've seen I'm that so often. I, no,
1: no. The, 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 the defender shielding. Like, if Van he he does shield it. He if Van Dyke had done that against Haaland, we'd have been like, oh, yeah, he there he is. He does not shield it. He does not I had shield 20 it. 20
2: years of blocking in my career. <laughs> and honestly, it drove me crazy. But there were defenders who were brilliant
3: at it. I don't think Gabriel is. Yeah. (laughs) who was the best, huh?
2: Kevin Moran, without a doubt, who played for Manchester United and Blackburn. And Kevin fouled more than anybody I'd ever played against. And it was always a block. He just was great, but he just made it look like what just, just like nothing like you innocuous. Ma- you, cla- you got, you know, you just made contact with another player. Yeah, but he deliberately got. I mean, he was well, I think he was one of the first players to get sent off in an FA Cup final, wasn't he, right. Kevin Moran? And but you know, he, he was just good here. And there were many that are exceptional. Can I just make a, a quick point about the the victory? Arsenal played the worst they've done all season mm. in that game. Leeds played the best they played all season, and they've lost the game. Yeah. Okay. Now, one thing that I struck me about that victory was. Yeah, they rode their luck and Leeds could have easily punished uh, Arsenal. They had a number of great opportunities to score. Was that, what's Monday morning going to be like at London Colney? Yeah, buzzing. Absolutely buzzing. They've been top of the league now since probably, what, second week of the Mm. season?
1: Well, Well, up there the whole time. Yeah,
2: they've been up there the whole time. But they've basically been top of the league for a number of weeks now. And the question is, is... obviously City are playing afterwards and if they'd lost they could go above them if they won and all these you know hypothetical sort of things that are happening but I thought what's London Coley like it's been buzzing for a long time now that club is on the upward spiral and training's going to be fun I've been there myself when you're in a position of having success and you just can't wait for Monday morning you can't wait for the next game you're not dreading it you're not on a losing run where sometimes as a player you think oh Things are not right. Imagine Tierney. A player like Tierney, as good as Tierney is, right? He can't get in the team. Zinchenko's en- injured and he can't get in the team. He's a really good player. Getting into this Arsenal team now has become a different level. This isn't now, you've got to play really badly to get left out of this team. You, The level has been set. The benchmark is much higher. And I think that's one of Arteta's weapons to his team. Whoever comes in is going to have to replace the form of Saka. On yeah. the right. Whoever comes in is going to have to repl- replace the form of Martinelli or Gabriel Jesus and, and just go through the team. Yeah, That is a great thing to have about football. And night. you see that though.
1: That's what I was talking about with the penalty reaction. It's that kind of same atmosphere that they'll have in yeah. the training ground, in the dressing room, and it's on the pitch as well, in it together and everything like that. It's, it's incredible to see.
4: And I think props have to go to Mikel Arteta for that because mm. I think, you know, having done his, his press conferences over the years... He's been very, very big on the culture in the dressing room, getting rid of those players mm. that he felt like were bad eggs. He's got rid of them. If you look at that squad now, I think, you know, it was, it was Rife on Twitter when they did the squad
2: photo. Like, pretty much the so whole squad now. far as was at Marseille, the pair of them, yeah. you know. It, okay, they might not even, Molly, they might not even have to be bad eggs. Because that's maybe a bit unfair on them. Maybe he just felt they're not right for what I need to do at this club.
4: He's Mm. had a very clear vision of what he wants Mm. and it's coming to fruition.
3: Tony, should the Leeds goal, should it have stood Bamford? I think he just lent Gabriel off it. I don't think that was a foul, and I hate to be the stickler for decisions today. That but goal think, should have, that goal should have stood. But I think it's the same kind of it's it's the barge, soft. it's the
1: barge level that soft. the pull on Fabinho's shirt is for me. I think it's like it's a foul. It's it's in the wider context of a game where we want it to flow. It's probably soft. But I thought the the shirt pull by Harton was soft, but it was a shirt pull that forces him to go to the floor. I think the barge is of the in the same category. Just you would have given the goal. Come on, Tony. Uh, No,
2: Hugh. Come on, Tony. Hugh, I've had a real problem with decisions and penalties because I've Tom, I've chatted a lot lot about this about. It's just a ridiculous reward. Twelve yards, shot a goal, one on one, and I feel like there's so many goals and incidents within the eighteen yard box now that are just so soft. I feel like. I know every week I'm going to be talking about the same thing. Hmm. Monday morning is going to be about VAR decisions. Was it a push? Was it a block? You know, is it offside? I mean, all these decisions that have been week in, week out for me. And I think it's been like that for the last 10 years.
1: Well, as you don't want to talk about this, then, I wanted to ask you quickly, as me and Molly both had our say, but you've got slightly more prowess in terms of being a striker than me and Molly, Patrick (laughs) Bamford. I was looking at the stats. It is the injury thing, isn't it? I mean, hmm. you know, one, who's the, one of the most famous always injured players in the Premier League as a forward? Danny oh. Welbeck. Patrick Bamford hasn't played as many games as him in the last couple of seasons. No. How, how good do you think he... When he's when he's on it, how good is he?
2: Well, I saw him as a young lad when he was at MK Don's and he was on loan from Chelsea. I watched him one day and he got a brace at Gillianham and I thought, oh, really promising young lad. Never quick enough. Never quick right. enough really to be at the top level. Um... But always had the ability to find space and get himself in scoring positions. Now the team has to function well for Bam- Bamford. He's not really a player who's going to do a moment of brilliance for yeah. himself to get a great goal. He's very much a team player. I don't think he's scored since December twenty-one. Well, obviously, that's down to injury. Uh, he's a very—you know—he's not the biggest built, is he? Mm. So he—he's going to suffer a number of injuries. Um, I like him a lot. I just think that it's really hardcore on Bamford because I never thought he was an England good enough to be an England player. Mm. You know, I always felt, yeah, there's qualities there, fits into the club idea, week in, week out, he'll do well for you. He was Arsenal's biggest fawn of the mm. weekend. And that shows that's yeah. Bamford on a good day. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to judge a lad that's played, you know, so little football in yeah, the last yeah. year
1: but to be fair to him what I was saying about Brilliant maybe, attitude yeah but in what you said about giving um, the Arsenal defenders the run around and you, you mentioned it as well how Liverpool have maybe shown others this is how you can kind of get at City this is also another test for Arsenal now going forward because other teams of the Leeds level will look at that and go hang on a minute we don't. they might be top of the table but they are there maybe when we're at home if we kind of press from the front Patrick Bamford showed us how to do it very
2: unselfish player
3: I think, generally speaking, Patrick Bamford has been one of the successes to come out of the EFL in the past few seasons. And Ivan Tony certainly is. <laughs> uh, the Brentford forward putting on a dominant display as they beat Brighton 2-0 on Friday night. I was there. Fantastic atmosphere at the Tech Community Stadium. It's now 54 goals and 19 assists for Ivan Tony in his 100 Bs appearances in all competitions. He's got to be a dead cert for the World Cup, Ivan Tony watching him in this game. The front post run, the fantastic flicked finish for the first. I hate to say it, and I, I don't want to be one of these people, but everyone keeps saying he needs to be in the England squad for penalties alone. I think we've all just, has everyone just come to the conclusion that we're definitely going to be in at least one penalty <laughs> shootout during this World Cup? And in that case, we definitely need Ivan Tony. but he's absolutely superb uh, at them. And that was the second goal as well. Um, and you just watched it. You watched that game, hmm. you thought... There is no way this guy can't be on the plane. Well, unfortunately, not
2: playing would put a big block on for me in some ways because if Gareth chose him and he had the game against Italy and Germany and didn't use him, then I wouldn't think he was considering taking him. Now, there's always someone that can knock down the back door and get him via the back door to being uh, in the team or around the squad. I hope that's the case for Ivan Tony because he certainly deserves it in... Not just being a leader of the line and being good airily really, and being a physical threat. Ivan Tony's game has improved this season alone. I've seen him get a free kick and stuck it in the top corner. I've seen him getting great little flicks like Zola would do for Chelsea. I've seen him get all sorts of goals. His relationship with Ember Murray is just superb. Um, and I think that he's one of them that just has come... Later in his career, a bit like Vardy, got so good into his mid twenties and carried on that every level he's got to, he just gets over and achieves and keeps going. And I'm just going to add the final point on this is that I thought this year, for second season, done really well last year. Mm. Ivan Tony, as he going to do in his second season with a lot of success and goals last year, he's started the season even
3: better. Yeah,
4: Peterborough United is my like home <laughs> club and.
3: Tony... Uh, it's like your home club.
4: Well, it's... I'm not a fan of Peterborough United, mm. but it's where I come from. <laughs> oh,
3: yeah. Yeah, so it's year, your hometown club. Um, it is officially
4: your hometown club. So, Peeble United have had this kind of vein of kind of gambling on strikers that have come from, whether it's non-league and they've found a gem or whether it's kind of a, a Premier League player. Obviously, Tony come from Newcastle, sort of written off a bit there, right? Not good enough to be a Premier League striker. Went down, dropped down a level... Absolutely, like smashed it up at Peterborough United's level, and then has come back. And I think that shows that you know he's somebody that has experienced that. He's experienced mm. bad times as well as it hasn't always been this good for him. No. And I think that's what's good to see. I think as a as a fan of football, to see somebody that has gone through that, to see how well he's doing. You're you're exactly right, Tone. That defenses could have worked him out, mm. but the reason you can't work him out is because he's not just Tar- centre, yeah. yeah. Like you, you see from that finish against Brighton, that flick. Like what? as a defender, what can you do there? He's he's capable of those moments, as well as being you know a, a target centre forward. And I think you know, yeah, add penalties into that, and for me, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely take him.
1: Yeah, I mean, my mates call me romcom Tom because I love a little you know romantic story with a happy ending. And as a Lincoln fan, I watched Ivan Tony play for Peterborough against us. I've seen him, so to see him at the World Cup, it'd be lovely. My only reservation, and this is me, again, getting in my Team Gareth camp of Mr. Pragmatism. Mm. Tony mentioned, is he going to play him? And then you, re- you also referenced Jamie Vardy. Now, mm. you think of Jamie Vardy in the last few seasons and England. He didn't really ever play. No. And he went to these World Cups and, you know, you'd throw him on at the end. And the reason he didn't play was because he didn't fit how Gareth was playing. And so that's where I think the trouble lies is... And uh, you, if anything, you know, I've got a list of English strikers who are going to be going... Almost the problem is that it's so centred around Harry Kane and how good he is that you, you your second striker either has to be... Hang on. Hugh's sticking his hand up. He nearly jumped across the desk at me then. <laughs> this is going to be good, whatever comes out. It's so centred around Harry Kane in terms of he's a superstar. He has to be in the team. That your next striker either has to be Harry Kane light so he can come on and do similar things or it has to be a really strong plan B. And I think we've seen it before when Calvert-Lewin's been in the squad and the plan B is like, knock it long try and win some knockdowns vardy if you're going to play vardy in past, it was get balls in behind and england never did that it's whether ivan tony can be harry kane light i think he could give it a go or whether he can be the plan b that gareth will want in that knockout game in the you know round of 16 against senegal when we need a goal in extra time before it goes to penalties is he going to be that i'm not saying he can't be i'm saying that might be
3: where he falls down in that gareth might not be convinced that he can do that i'll respond to a couple of your points Tony, firstly, the bit on him not playing, this is the thing that I find interesting, because especially watching that Brentford game against Brighton at the weekend, why I think he could be great for England as well. He knows his way around the block, Ivan Tony, 26 years old, loads of games in the EFL. He's been at Peterborough, we've mentioned already, Scunthorpe, Shrewsbury, Wigan, Barnsley, Northampton Town, of course, his hometown. So it's not like, even though he hasn't got the England caps yet, and I know, you know, international football does step up for anyone else. um, But ultimately, if he was 21 years old and he hadn't played for England, I would be more concerned. He's played plenty of matches. He's played in tough conditions in the EFL in terms of the physicality. And you watch the game against Brighton at the weekend, and Ivan Tony alone just basically kept their entire back four occupied for the entire game. But what Brentford did, which was interesting, and it's something that Gareth Southgate and England probably need to look at anyway is, they bypassed midfield because they did not feel like they could outplay Brighton in that area, and so they went straight to Ivan Tony, and he was absolutely brilliant at that. And this is what I mean about a plan B, Tom. You're saying it's a plan B. It could easily be a plan A for England because they go into Kane and they play off of him. This is not a team in England that creates be. loads of goal scoring opportunities for Harry Kane. They yep. don't. As great as a player he is, we're not, and, and he does score a lot of goals for England. From open play, it's not like we're we've got a player in the shape of Harry Kane that you know I'll oh, just give him the ball and we'll, we'll get it in the back of the net. No, we don't create the chances for him anyway. Ultimately, it's the players out wide who are probably going to get the, the most of the most of the chances. But what I would say about Tony and Kane is that they can certainly play together. Hmm. We've, I think we've said it before, the three four one two. Yeah, I still think that needs to be an option for England because you know they they they've got wingers in their squad people who prefer playing out wide and they haven't got a system that suits, that they're confident with, with Raheem Sterling or mm. a Jack Grealish or a Phil Foden or a Saka pinned to the touchline, playing out wide as gen- genuine wingers like they do for their clubs. I think there is a space for Ivan Toney, not only in the, in, in the Singler squad, but playing plenty of minutes at the World Cup. Yeah,
2: look, just one really big thing here. I was at Stamford Bridge when Brentford beat Chelsea 4-1 last season. Ivan Tony didn't score. He played against Antonio Rüdiger, I would argue one of the best defenders in European football, and Silva, okay? Brazilian, great centre-half, most composed. He absolutely ripped them to pieces without scoring. And I remember thinking, if he can't play international football and he's just played against two of the best defenders in in European football, probably world football, in Rüdiger and Silva... Well, sorry, I'm misreading it. I'm mis- misreading the old situation. Because he gave them as hard a game. If you asked them to after the game, how tough was it playing against I- Ivan Tony? Toney? Both would have said, really, really tough. Because he, he run them ragged in that game. And he didn't even score.
3: When uh, the- uh, and that's the sort of player that he is. I know yeah, it sounds it's Confidence,
1: weird. no, absolutely. And I'm, I was thinking about you, the points you were making, Hugh, and, and Molly about his career trajectory and things. Gregor did an interview with him when he was at Brentford but in the championship and he kind of said I'm I'm going to the top (laughs) and Gregor rang in and I was like how was the interview he's like he's a confident lad I'll give him that Mm. and we were chatting about it and I'd said I'd seen him at Peterborough and thought he was pretty good but like I mean his application in terms of his career and that improvement self-improvement and also the confidence I agree with you do you know uh, stick stick him in the World Cup and he'll be like I'm well up for this Mm. you
2: know there's things that happen within the game that's kept quiet he's been rumoured, been rumoured a number of times that he's not a particularly great trainer. Now, Brentford slightly cover it up that he's training. If you see videos of their training sessions, that you normally don't see too much of Ivan Tony. Now there are players I've played with that don't train particularly good, but they play bloody brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and McGraw was the obvious one. McGraw was one of the worst trainers that I'd ever seen. Put him on a football field in a match. He was everywhere. You know, and I and I've heard that about Tony from a few people within the game and said, he's not the best trainer. Does it matter? Well it it might have mattered when he was in the England squad. Yeah. Because if he's thinking Gareth is thinking, well, I'm gonna play him and then he trains not the same as everybody else, because there are players who don't train like not everyone runs around like you know, like trying to make a point. He might think, I'm here, I can do it. Yeah. And I'm I mean, I'm only saying what I've been told over the last year and a half.
3: Do you think he could play with Harry Kane? Yes, without a doubt. Two of them together in the yeah. same team. I think they'd scare the life out of teams. He yeah. could,
2: but Gareth
4: yeah. Southgate won't do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. No, But it, 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 he could in I think actually Hugh, I I'm that's my favorite line on this podcast in the last 6 months. That, it, I, it, it could happen, but Gareth won't do it. Um <laughs> I'm hotwired into Gareth's thinking. It could though in the three four one two that you outlined. But you'd have to change the kind of system. You'd probably have to sacrifice Jude Bellingham in midfield. You'd have him play a bit more defensively. And do what you said and go wide. Yeah. Push the wing backs up. Push the wing backs up yeah. and sacrifice that at, midfielder. Get it in the and box. stop yeah. playing through the lines. But I'm just linking it back to what we saw in those last games and the excitement around Bellingham. I think it would be more three four two one and the one as Kane and your two as Foden, Mount, Sterling, mm. with Bellingham as your linking piece to go through. And that's why I think Tony, if he goes, and I'm not I'm not being the voice going, he shouldn't,
3: but he'll go as a plan he, B. He, he, when you think about it, though, he just... I mean, Danny Wellbet was up the other end, for example, and you just watched the game and thought, as good as Welbeck was and as good as he's been... You know, he still hasn't scored a Premier League goal, I think, this season, and it's it's one of those where Tony is just much more of a threat. Yeah. You know, Well, Hugh, one choice big striker. Thing. Do you know do you know
2: what you do you might have to do? Maybe look at the opposition you're playing against. Mm. Maybe have a look at them and think, what will they be like with crosses coming in, ball being played up very quickly, having to face Kane and Tony. Now, if you think they're gonna that's gonna cause the opposition a lot of problems, of course you use him. It's not only about we play this way and it doesn't matter who we're playing against. We're only going to play this way. way. You can look at the opposition and go, that's going to hurt them. And I think it would.
3: Okay, let's talk Bournemouth next. They remain unbeaten under their interim manager, Gary O'Neill, following their two-all draw with Fulham this weekend. O'Neill's now taken charge of four draws and two victories since the sacking of Scott Parker in August. So it's great for him. But Molly, I know you wanted to highlight the performance of the Bournemouth forward, Dom Solanke.
4: Yeah, I think maybe it's a a result of me kind of doing a, a few Premier League games here and there, and you don't always get to regularly see a team like Bournemouth, but I sort of watched him on Saturday and thought, wow, he's improved since I last saw him. And I think maybe it's one of those where maybe you don't quite realise it until you watch him live. I think um, it, uh, I wrote in my piece for, for The Times today, it's a it's a bit of a pub quiz question. Which present Premier League striker has a solitary England cap dating back to November 2017? Did you know it was Dom Solanke?
1: I'd never, I wouldn't have got that, no way. No. No, no
4: chance. Um, so I think he's, obviously, he left Liverpool and people thought, well, he's a flop now. Hmm. He's, he's, yeah. he's not made it at that level. He's gone down to the Championship. He's had two seasons there. He's really improved in those two seasons from the first to the second. His goal tr- contributions are, were massively up. Then he's come to the Premier League and it's a completely different proposition for being a striker at a top championship club where you're having a lot of possession, loads of chances created compared to being a striker at a sort of bottom-half Premier League club where you're not getting many chances, you've got to be really clinical, you've got to put a shift in, you've got to do a lot more work for the team defensively and I think someone was saying on Saturday as much as I sort of hate that term like a 9.5 in terms of being a 9 and a 10, I think the goal and the assist on Saturday really showed that from Solanke fantastic finish for the first goal that I know Tom absolutely loved what What a
1: goal I mean Mm. what a goal but also you can carry on but he also links that play doesn't he Mm. and Tony you talk to me about this so often and we talked about Ivan Tony and that hunger Maybe going to Bournemouth has given him that hunger. He makes the run out wide, then plays the ball to Billing, and then he sprints. I'm going to get into the box. Give you the option for that for the for the pass, and that's where the goal comes from. And it was amazing. But carry on, Mo. I've just wanted to jump in.
4: And then and then for the second goal, he he does all the work on the right flank, cuts in. Fulham's defense should have, you know, got out to him and stopped him doing that. But he cuts in, and then he really coolly finds the pass for Lerma just to you know, put in the bottom corner. So I think it, you know, I'm I'm not about to say he should be on the plane.
1: Get him on the plane.
4: <laughs> but <laughs> no. I think, you know, if he keeps up, uh, and I think he got two assists in the previous game against Leicester as well. If he can keep that up, and I think we've seen so many times with with strikers, it's it's about confidence, right? Mm, yeah, and he's really. a player that's like top of his game confidence wise. And he was saying, you know, he's had a taste of that England. It's, it's a dream and he wants to get back to it. You know, not for the World Cup, but... You know,
2: he's still only young. Mm. He's, let's not let's
4: not write him off yet.
2: No. Um look, he's gone to a big club, obviously he was at a big club in Chelsea, goes to Liverpool and gets one goal in twenty odd appearances and most of them was a sub. So you're deemed not good enough. Now you've got points to prove. So he goes down to the championship and he does everything that I think come what's out the best for you as a player because I can remember getting promoted with Millwall and having Sharon alongside me and we both got 20 plus goals in the season we got promoted and the first conversation we had back in pre-season was like well how many are we going to get in the Premier League or the top flight at that time mm. and that was our challenge and his challenge has come further down the line because he scored, what, 29 last year, was it? Nearly 30, 29 mm. goals. Uh, and a lot of assists as well. Yeah, a lot of uh, assists in a side that get promoted. So now he comes back to the Premier League. Now he's got two so far in the Premier League and both of them are against teams that got promoted. Mm. So he's got a lot to prove. But what I loved and echoing what Tom and what Molly were saying about his goal and his movement is that Tavernier's ball to him, the ball then to Billin, and Billin and him return and he finishes it off. That's a Premier League striker. So I think as long as he gets it in his mindset and his belief that he's a Premier League striker, now there is more to him. I just I I'm gonna be really interested in try and work out if he stays fit, what tally he will end up at the end of the year.
3: Uh, Tony, let me ask you this: as a former professional athlete, when does it click? Doesn't have to be football; could be any sport. But you think of these players. You know, we mentioned Jamie Vardy earlier, but Patrick Vanford as well. Ivan Tony, mm. Dom Solanke now um, players who I think you know we see them leave big clubs in the Premier League and they go to the EFL we think that's it they're not good enough for the, the top flight and it's not that they just go back to the championship and they have like one great season they're immediately back like it's two or three maybe longer but suddenly you're seeing these players who look like they've got more time who look like they are mm. more intelligent they look like totally different players to when they were youngsters and you sit back and you go well it must just be experience it must have just clicked Was there a stage for you in your career that you thought this is easier than... I thought it was, or that then I was making it look, if you see what I mean. Because when you're a kid and you've got that natural talent, I think you try everything, don't you, as a youngster? And you, you often look like a player who doesn't hasn't quite got it yet, if you know what I yeah. mean. Um, there, there must be a stage, and maybe it's different years for different players, but there must be a stage where suddenly, I think of, for example, Thiago, you know, as a, as a youngster, and, you know, the things said about him, not going to be able to make it or not going to be able to play in a certain way, or Bastion Schweinsteiger, you know, the mm. young kid with blue. Blonde hair, who likes to cross it, but you know, will he ever make it? And then suddenly, he's a holding midfielder who looks like he's got you know all the time in the world in central midfield to pass it fifty, sixty yards. It's just, just it, it must click eventually. Just reminded
4: me of Martin Odegaard. He was sort of written off as a flop, wasn't he, when yeah. he was that young, exactly. that young kid
2: around Madrid? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I think a bit. I played against Tottenham when I was in my early twenties for Gillingham, and I, I was up against um, uh, Paul Miller, um, Graham Roberts. And they had Ardiles, Hoddle, Archibald, Garth Crooks in the team. So they were a really good team and didn't really get a kick and thought, oh, this is a different level. And as I got more experienced and went up slightly up the leagues and got promoted with Millwall, I, I scored a hat-trick against QPR at home for Millwall. And I remember thinking, wow, I can compete now. I realised that I'd matured to become a far better, more accomplished player. Um, don't get me wrong, you see all these great players on the telly and then you're lining up, I can remember lining up against Liverpool and they had um, Gillespie, Hanson and players of that level, you know, and you're thinking, I've watched these, these are great players and if you can give them problems, you know, and you feel like, I remember playing against Gary Pallister, Man United and thinking, He's won the best because he. I played against him in the championship, and now he's at Man United, and how good he was for them. And Stevie Bruce did a similar thing. I think once you realise you can compete against them and cause them problems, that's the awakening for you. That now, okay, I, and it, don't get me wrong, it's a really tough gig because you can come up against Adams and Keown and yeah. many others in, in your, your career, and it, it, it's tough. Um, but that belief comes by scoring against teams, by playing well against them as well, is important. You know, your performance of how you do, not just getting a goal, you can get a lucky goal, a goal, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. A, yeah. a goal that's a tapping, and you, mm. you know, but generally playing well and knowing you can get him. Don Howe once said to me, the great Don Howe, was at Arsenal, and he came to Chelsea for a short period, and he had a, one of the best telling offs I ever had. He didn't swear once, but he basically questioned me as a player. He said to me in an airport in Dublin, Where's Cascarino now? And I said, what do you mean, Don? He went, well, I watched you against Adams and Keown and O'Leary. And he said, you played really well, you were in sharing. And where's that player gone? Mm. He said, you've had a few moves, haven't you? And I went, yeah, I've done. I've done okay. He went, yeah, I can see. He said, the player I see, the Cascarino I saw at Arsenal, uh, 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 at Highbury, that's gone. Mm. He said, and I'll tell you what, he said, I'll be Monday morning. I'll be ready. It's me and you train. I was about 31 at the time. He said, me and you are trying together on our own after everyone's gone. I'm going to work. I am want to get that Cascarino back. And he literally nailed me in a 20-minute conversation of where he thought I'd gone in my career because he mm. basically said, you think you've arrived in the big game. This game, don't wait for nobody. It
1: so- makes an interesting point, though, doesn't it? Talking about not just your experiences, Tony, but those players and Solanke particularly, you know, left Chelsea and then went to Liverpool mm. in that kind of move that we see so often where it's like a stockpiling of talent. And what happens yeah. is he doesn't play. You know, you talk about that hat-trick yeah. against QPR. That's ultimately minutes on the pitch. Ivan Tony's progression has been about game time. So that's why he's yeah. now at a point where we go, got so many layers to his game, he's up for it. Solanke drops down. It does make you think maybe in the future and in the next few years, these young players coming through, particularly forwards who, as Tony says, it's all about minutes, it's all about goals. When, you know, and this might have happened to you, Tony. you've already been, always been very disparaging and said you were never good enough for like a Man United or whatever. No, I wasn't. But like no. in... In this modern era, if you'd had that season at Millwall, someone in now might have gone, well, let's have him. Let's get him now. And you'd have sat on the bench somewhere for like year, two years. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you'd have been Dom Solanke. Like, he's not good enough. And no. then you'd have had to drop back down. Well, I, I, I do wonder whether players now will look at,
3: the, you know, these uh, kind of stories that just and stuff. Start... That, that Tony, unfortunately, declared for the Republic of Ireland. You see, had he declared <laughs> for England, he would have been stockpiled by a big club.
2: Yeah, I was just going to add that. The moment for me, I mean, look, he'd done brilliant last year, Ivan Tony, and we've gone back to him again. The moment for me was the hat-trick against Leeds this year that had everything in it mm. as a hat-trick. If that doesn't make him already feel 10 foot tall because he's a season last year, but that hat-trick at Leeds was a moment where if I'm Gareth Southgate, I look at Ivan Toney, I think he is being in my squad, and I'll tell you what, I might even somehow find a way of getting him in the team. Yeah. When I saw that particular game and the the way he took the goals
3: one of the things that he did at the weekend which of course we all think uh, you know someone leading the line should be able to do but the number of times he was fouled just by backing into the centre back just getting the ball before them getting a leg in front of the defender as they barrel through to try and clear it Dragging his team up the pitch. You know, it's one of those underappreciated jobs that a forward does, but he does it so
1: well. Maybe he can be Harry Kane then, because Harry Kane is the player <laughs> who does that better than anyone else, isn't he? Oh, the ball's in the air. There's a defender coming.
3: Anyone want a free kick, lads? I'll sort it out. Don't worry. So listen, listen England, the sport for choice at this yeah, point. Yeah, we're going to win time. it. Yeah, we're going to win it. We're going to win it. Who knows Dom Solanke might sneak on the onto the plane as well? Yeah, exactly. Why not? Everyone's on the plane until the plane finally takes off, anyway.
0: iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. That's BlueNile.com.
3: Well, it was a weekend uh, of red cards up and down the country, and none more so than at Bramall Lane. There were four red cards in a crazy game. And, Molly, the uh, WSL game between West Ham and Aston Villa, well, provided, what should I call it, uh, some pretty... Strong images. Let's say that a hammer's win overshadowed by a late brawl. It was sparked by a defender, at Hawa Sissoko, repeatedly hitting Sarah Mailing and pretty much all hell broke loose after that.
4: Yeah, I think I don't want to say it was quite funny because that feels like it's the wrong word. But, <laughs> so, but so many people talk about the women's game as like oh, it's so nice. There's there's none of that. There's none of that Harry Kane diving going on. There's no you know. There's not many red cards. There's not many bookings. No one's really you know. No one's nasty. Everyone's just just having a nice time. Just some ladies having a nice time. Howa Sissoko is is was not. No. Um, <laughs> she she's got a bit of a reputation actually. I think I think with three red cards she's now got the most sending offs in WSL history. And she hasn't played in the division very long, so that's quite impressive. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those. It, and it is, it is a rare moment in the Women's Super League and I always say I think it'll happen more and more because the stakes are higher now. It it didn't used to sort of matter as much, obviously you didn't want to you know, lose a game. But now, you know, there's there's money involved, there's there's kind of where you finish in the table actually matters. Um and yeah, she uh she sort of went to was it a punch? I mean, sort of was. Um, she kind of went <laughs> went for.
3: Went I, I'd call it a face palm.
4: Yes, it was. It was in a between
2: a punch and a slap. Hold it! Hold
3: a minute.
2: Uh, just a. F- what did you? you describe it? A, you face
3: scri- a, a face, you
2: know, face palm. palm. You you a face palm. You were the guy only half hour ago. You were talking about the Bamford incident with oh, Gabriel. No, listen,
3: I'm just saying I wouldn't describe it as a punch. A punch. Oh. I would have said a bald fist. It wasn't a bald fist. It was an open hand, and therefore, Tony, I would categorise it as a face palm. Yeah. Yes.
2: Well, I'd add to a bit. I'd add to a bit more. Of that was a many, <laughs> many men in the ma- men's game would have gone down. Yeah, and rolling around. That's true. Around, and that's the, true. The, 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 the 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 woman that stood up and yeah, took yeah. him. And that yeah. was more than a face palm to me
4: yeah fair play um yeah yeah so and then obviously <laughs> as they come off
3: fair play Siss-
4: <laughs> sissoko then sort of started beef with most of the the um the touchline as well and paul paul Krzynski, who is now the yes west ham manager also got uh got sent off yes that was um i did but my my main takeaway from that is yeah women's football not a nice place. They're not they're
1: not <laughs> nice after all. Who knew? Um but I would just like to come back to briefly the Blackpool Sheffield United game and uh say a shout out to my mate Seth who's a Blackpool fan and uh went to the playoff final and watched watched them beat us. Stick with it, Seth. It's still gonna be all right. You know, he's only a young kid. <laughs> Bless I mean, they were three two up having been two nil down. Man sent off in the seventy eighth, man sent off in the eighty first. And then Sheffield United equalising in the 98th minute. I mean, I know there was loads of red cards, but it doesn't get more cruel than that, does it? That's so, so, Tom, I mean.
2: are you going to say Blackpool it was a roller coaster ride? Then?
1: Oh, <laughs> absolutely superb. Hugh's done. I'm going to have to jump in and present because Hugh's on it. the floor. On the floor. But what I did want to ask was, Tony, you're talking about, you know, we're standing up to people and sticking with red cards. Mm. I understand that, you know, we were talking about getting them on the plane and international call-ups. We, you've got a bit of bad news for the Republic of Ireland if they ever decide to call you out of retirement that's right isn't it
2: yeah well my last game was a turkey away and i got sent off after the match and got a two match ban i've never been called up since you've, never served, anyway. you've never, never, served never served it ban, you've never served it never served the ban you still so. got your two matches hanging after over after
4: the you. match what did you do
2: um i basically <laughs> took a few punches um and then retaliated to taking a few punches but it was uh a world cup playoff
1: a definite red then
2: Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. He didn't get a red card; I did. But um... how many did you get in your career? Oh, I was going to say punches. <laughs> <laughs> Too many well, to I was going remember. Say about three or four before I reacted. Um, I got nine. All of them deserved. Um, no, no. My my harshest one was when I played against uh, Auxerre, and we conceded a goal in the last minute that sent us down, and um, I felt like uh, the referee had made a poor decision. Uh, so you stuck I, the head on him. No, I said, to him, I said something very rude in French to him. Um, but I just thought, think of the circumstances. Literally, last kick of the game, we've got relegated, and now you've just sent me off. You know, was that needed? He could have <laughs> given me a yellow. A little bit gave me petty. a straight red.
3: A little bit petty. Yeah. Straight red, fiery Cascarino. That's what we're calling I, you.
2: I wasn't really, but... Nine, I, Tony. No,
3: but... <laughs> <laughs> you yes. said nine. I, I Honestly, no, we no. should have done
1: that as a quiz question. Never mind who, you know, Dom Solanke's England cap. It, <laughs> well, no. I reckon if we'd
2: gone... I played 18
1: years. I'm going to go around every single one of your colleagues... You're in forwards, time, Tony. I'm going to ask every single one of your time's colleagues how many reds did Tony get. And I bet not one of them gives you more
3: than five. Nine. Mm. Mm. Outrageous. Lovely mm. guy, out, honestly. Watch out, everyone. Yeah, lovely guy. I don't want to play football against him, but lovely guy nonetheless. <laughs> Uh, Tony Cascarino, thank you. Thank you, uh, Tom Clark and Molly Hudson uh, for being with me. It been really great this morning. But also, thank you all for listening. So, if you want more of our award-winning journalism, make sure you check out the Times app, download it wherever you get your apps from. Uh, you can also subscribe to the game. So, that is the times.co.uk forward slash the game. Loads of great stuff for you to read, including Tony's views on Tottenham. Doesn't think they're gra- that great to watch. Is that right, Tony? Um, I think they are hard watch.
2: Sometimes. Seems a bit ridiculous for the third highest goal scoring team in the Premier League, but they are a hard watch.
1: They're third, who cares? Team Tottenham, Team Comte, all the way.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you can read that on the Times app right now, so make sure you download it. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with you on Thursday.